The legal views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute or contain legal advice. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. You are listening to the Break the Business Podcast. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm excited for the show that we have here today. Uh, Thanks for downloading. Thanks for telling a friend. Thanks for emailing us with your suggestions. It's awesome. It makes the show better, and I'm thrilled to have you as part of our podcasting community here at Break the Business. Uh, We got a stripped-down show this week. As I've said in previous weeks, we are currently transitioning into a new studio. We're moving the stuff out of our current humble setup into a studio setup that's a little more impressive to uh, give you guys a better podcasting product. I'm moving to a new house. We're building up a little studio in that house so that my co-host Dave and I uh, can have a nice, awesome studio set up for you and give you guys a great show. I'm really excited for how this studio is turning out. Um, It's looking good, but we're not there yet. Um, and until we get there, we're still stuck in this setup, and I only have some of my equipment here, so it's a little more stripped down, but we got some great stuff uh, coming up on the show today, and I'm so thrilled to have you here. Um, just a bit of housekeeping to start us off. If you want to email the Break the Business podcast, and I very much hope that you do, you can email us at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. That's breakthebusiness at gmail.com. Well, why would we want to email you, Ryan? Fantastic question. Very handsome question there. I would say the way the reason why you want to email us is because your input can help take the show in whatever direction is best for you, the indie artist that's currently listening or the music industry aficionado or entertainment law aficionado that's currently listening right now. If there's something that you want to talk about, is there if there's a topic that's on your mind that you would like for me to talk about, my co-host to talk about, the people that we interview each week to talk about, That's the best way to reach out to us. Email us, breakthebusiness at gmail.com. And whatever you want us to discuss that's important to you, we'll talk about it. Um, And if you have any comments about the show, critiques about the show, we want to make it as good as possible for you. That's another great reason to email us. And while you're on the computer doing the things that you do um, in terms of emailing us, you might also want to follow us on social media. You can follow me on Twitter at Ryan, K-A-I-R. That's R-Y-A-N. K-A-I-R. You can also follow my co-host Dave, um, who is not here this week because, again, we have a stripped-down studio set up as we're moving to the new studio. But normally when he's here, he's funny and awesome, and you know he really breaks up just the monotony of me talking about the music business because he has all these funny characters and voices, and um, he's awesome. And he's a great follow on Twitter. You can follow him at D-K-A-Y-E-1027. That's at D-K-A-Y-E-1027. I know it's it's a bit to remember, but trust me, it's worth it to remember it because he's a great follow. I don't think he anticipated when he first made that Twitter profile many moons ago that he would become somebody that people would find very engaging and want to follow in mass or on mass. Is it in mass or on mass? Who knows? Uh, probably all of you except for me. Um, but either way, you want to give him a follow. He's very funny. He's very awesome. Smart dude. Um, and so he's definitely worth a follow. You can also follow the Break the Business company on Facebook. Uh, just type in Break the Business on Facebook. There we are. Um, while you're doing the social media thing, while you're doing the email thing. So after you email us and after you follow us on our various social media platforms, 
Maybe you want to head on over to Amazon and check out my book, Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence, and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry. So if you like the stuff that we do around here, if you're an indie artist who's looking to move their career forward, if you're a music industry aficionado who wants to hear an entertainment lawyer's thoughts on where the industry is going next, if you're just the kind of person that likes to read a book um, in which somebody speaks truth to power, if you don't like record companies and you want to hear about somebody yell about record companies for pages after pages, this is the book for you. Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence, and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry, available now on Amazon. If you're a paperback guy, you can get it on paperback. If you live and die by your ebook reader like I do, you can also get it on ebook. So we, we got all the options available to you. I'm also working on a audiobook version, but that's going to take some time because we're moving into the new studio and that's where I'm going to do most of the recording for it. But um, it's a great read, um, although I'm supposed to think that because I wrote it, but I've been told by other people who normally aren't nice to me that it's a great read. So, I mean, that's a ringing endorsement right there. Um, so, all right, that's all going down. I'm glad we got through the housekeeping um, let's get into some fun. So in the next segment, we have Derek Webb coming in. Derek Webb, in addition to being a fantastic musician, uh, Dove Award winning musician, he is also the co-founder of a company called Noise Trade. And that's why we're going to have him on in the next segment. Um, we owe, Each week, if you're new to the podcast, you should know that each week we bring in uh, somebody from indie music. A lot of times it's an indie artist. Sometimes it's uh, some exe- you know, business person in the indie music industry, entertainment lawyers, things like that. But we bring in somebody to talk about something about the indie music business that matters to the indie artists listening to this show. We we talk to people about how they can promote their uh, about how artists can promote their music more effectively. Some legal issues they want to watch out for. Uh, maybe get some insight on where the industry is going. Uh, different things like that and. This particular guest is fantastic. I am so excited to share this interview with you. Derek Webb is so insightful, and he's so smart, and he really has some great thoughts on the next steps for the music industry, and it would be great for you to listen so you can get some insight on where he thinks the industry is going. Uh, When he's talking, you want to listen because he really knows his stuff, and he's super knowledgeable. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about the platform that he founded because I think in many ways that platform noise trade is what it's called uh, is emblematic of where the music industry is going for indie artists and you might want to look into this platform if you're an indie artist particularly if you're early in your career and you're trying to expand your fan base and you know get as many people into your tent as possible or uh, your tribe as Derek Webb calls it as you'll hear in the next segment um this can be a useful platform for you. So let me tell you a bit about Noise Trade before we get into the interview, uh, just to kind of uh, brief you before we head in uh, and talk to Derek Webb, who was, again, tremendous, by the way. Um, Noise Trade is a music distribution platform where, unlike most music distribution platforms where you're selling your music, you know, for 99 cents or $1.29 a song or something like that, like iTunes, on this platform, you give your music away for free, for free. Um, and in exchange, what you get is, you know, information about the person who's downloading it, such as the downloader's email address. And so that's the platform. And we talk a lot about it. Um, and of course, many of the questions that I ask him are questions you probably have when I tell you about a platform in which you give music away for free. So you're probably going to be asking yourself, well, why should I give my music away for free? Should I be doing this? I, 
I'm an artist. I need money. I need to pay rent. I need to eat. Uh, I, I intend at some point for my music to be a profit-making venture, so why should I be giving my music away for free? And that's and the answer to that is going to be in the next segment, and uh, you can get some of Derek Webb's thoughts on that. He speaks to the value of customer data and the role, um, the value of customer data and how it can create a long-term uh, financial strength for an artist. Um, Derek Webb also speaks at length, and I think this is a fascinating discussion that uh, I have with artists all the time, and it's what role should music content play for you as an indie artist? Is your content a revenue stream? Is it something that directly makes you money? Or is it a marketing tool? So in, in a sense, is music the product you're selling? Or is it a loss leader that you use to develop a devoted base of customers or fans that uh, ultimately bring you more financial and artistic success? Um it's an it's an important discussion to have. It's one that's being it's taking that's taking place in the music industry and all the various sectors of the industry, and we're it's changing the very nature of what your content is supposed to do for you as an artist. Uh, he gives some great insight on where he think uh, on where the industry is heading next. He might just be one of the best voices we have talking about indie music right now. If you're an indie artist, or if you're somebody who's just interested in the music industry. You want to stick around for this interview. I can't, I can't oversell this in terms of how terrific Derek Webb was. Um, you can check out his platform at noisetrade.com, and you can follow Derek Webb on all the various social media platforms that he has. Uh, you just search Derek Webb, and you'll find him without any difficulty. Uh, but, but first thing you can do is stick around for the next segment, and you can listen to Derek Webb talk about all the things that we just said uh, in some very impressive, brilliant eloquence. So Derek Webb's coming up right now. Thank you all very much for listening to the Break the Business podcast. Ryan here from the podcast. Shameless plug time. My new book, Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry is now available in paperback and an ebook. The book talks about how you can be your own boss in your music career and take control of your content creation, promotion, distribution, and fundraising. Get your copy on Amazon by searching Break the Business. It's a nice read for musicians and the people who love them. That's Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry. Thanks very much for your support. Welcome back to the Break the Business podcast. He's an entrepreneur and Dove Award-winning singer-songwriter originally from Memphis, Tennessee. In 2008, he co-founded the indie music distribution service Noise Trade, which currently has over 35,000 artists and over 1.6 million subscribers. You can find out more about his company at www.noisetrade.com. Ladies and gentlemen, Derek Webb is on the Break the Business podcast. Derek, thanks for being on with us. Hey, thanks. Thanks so much. Oh, uh, it's our pleasure to have you on. We know you're a busy guy. you got all kinds of moving and shaking to do, and we're glad you can make time for us. Sure. <laughs> it's a pleasure. Um, before we talk about your service, Noise Trade, which I think uh, you know is an intriguing platform that a lot of indie artists should be considering, um, yeah. you know, I'd love to just dive into your uh, your work as a musician in your own right. you got quite a quite a backstory in music. Can you tell the folks a little bit about that? Sure, sure, sure. So, um, so music is being a musician is the only thing I've ever, you know, really felt especially qualified to do. I'm I, I have very few skills. I have gifts in very narrow areas, and um, pretty much everything I do comes from my 
uh, love of music and, and, you know, the, the 20 plus years I've spent as a blue collar singer songwriter, I started, um, in, uh, the early nineties, uh, some friends and I down in Texas founded a band called Cademan's Call. And so I was in that band from like 92 for about 10 years. And, and so half of our band's career was all pre-internet. Um, but we learned a lot about tribe building and, and kind of fan connection, the importance of having those direct fan connections and, um, and was in that band for about 10 years and then have spent from about 2002 really till present day, primarily making my living as a, as a singer songwriter. And, um, so, and, you know, and, and it was very much by way of trying to solve my own problems as a blue collar musician that I kind of backed into the idea that started noise trade. But so that, so that's, so yeah, so it's, you know, like, um, the, the role that I play at noise trade now is kind of like the hair club for men, you know, it's like, I'm, I'm not only the owner, I'm also a client. Um, I've got music up on noise trade. So like anybody else. So. Oh, right on. Um, and so since we got you on that topic, uh, tell the folks a little bit about how noise trade works. Yeah. So what we do at noise trade is we help, um, musicians and authors, uh, give away content for free in exchange for reader and listener data. So essentially what that means is um, if you're an artist or a band, um, if you're an, uh, an author, you, you come to Noise Trade, it's totally free, sign up, um, and then whatever content you want to give away for free, uh, you upload, uh, you, you get to us there, and then um, you can direct your tribe and your fans uh, to it, uh, and we will. Uh, Notion is not a place where you sell anything. Um, this is an earlier strategy. On you, you lead generate for what you want to sell by capturing as much customer data as you possibly can. And even for the the tribe and the fans and the readers that you have, you want to always be capturing their data, pulling it out of things like Facebook and all these proprietary social media platforms. Those are great. Those are great megaphones to have to talk to your audience, but really you're not going to convert anybody to paying you anything on the whole um, over those kind of networks. Email is and has always been and still remarkably is the best tunnel you can dig under everything else to go directly to fans. Um, and so we just facilitate that trade, right? So, so um, you know, we have a, a ton of folks who use noise trade to discover uh, music and, and, and book content and, uh, as you mentioned, we have, you know, a million and a half or so people who we communicate with uh, several times a week with uh, in emails featuring content we think that is great. Um, and uh, what you wind up with is uh, a database of uh, information on your fans. And so, you uh, you know, the, the whole thing started when I was um, – had just put out my third record and um, – you know, the marketing money to, to sell the record was gone. Um, I, my tribe had bought it. So it was about six months into the record cycle. Uh, my fans had bought it. There was no more money. The sales were kind of trickling. And that's the natural moment in an album cycle where you think, uh, you start thinking about the next record, you know, like, so now we're, what do we do next? And we need a new budget to pay for more marketing and blah, blah, blah. Sure. And, and I went to my label and said to them, which at the time was Sony, uh, Sony Columbia. And, went to them and said, you know, and this was in 2006. So giving music away was insane in 2006. Now it's, <laughs> everyone does it now, but back then it was crazy. It was before Prince or Nine Inch Nails or Radiohead or any of these people had really done it. 
And I went to them and said, because my thinking was I have nothing to lose. If people, if I give it away for free online, if people, and if I'm getting, um, you know, fan information, if I'm getting emails and postal codes, which is what we get. So it's geo-targeted email data. If I can get that, the people who download my record and hate it and delete it, I never would have gotten their money. They're not my fans. I'm not looking for I'm not looking to get money from people who are not my fans. I'm looking to build my tribe of fans. And so there's a zero opportunity cost if people download it for free and don't like it, delete it. That's no problem. But the people who our marketing dollars couldn't find and the people who had not organically just been recommended or found or stumbled onto my music, this might be the only way they try it or ever find it. And for those people, those are just those are found fans for me, just new fans. Um, and I've got older records I can then sell them. I've got newer records. I've got tours. I've got special events. I've got all kind. There's all kind of ways to make money once you have data. And so that was kind of my thinking. And Sony, I convinced them to let me do this. And in 2006, uh, over a three-month little campaign of giving away a, a record for free for email zip codes, managed to give away almost 90,000, 85,000 digital copies of that record and was suddenly sitting on a huge database of people who had my had my music at that point had never paid me a dime and um were uh, and it changed my career because all of a sudden you learn things you have this data and i discovered that for instance in the in the five cities where i had given away the most downloads of that record in those three months two of those cities i'd never played a show in as a solo artist i'd never played uh new york and los angeles were the two cities and i, and I was thought and i thought well you know for a blue collar musician it's really hard to go to la it's expensive and you can't it's hard it's competitive and but here's this data that says 2200 people within 20 miles of la downloaded that record so i should probably go there and play a show you know so i i had my agent book a show for me um, I said, you know, give me any show, any night for any pay in any venue, I'll take it. And they got me little downstairs bar at the knitting factory on Hollywood Boulevard. Good venue. Uh, it, it, yeah, it is a good venue, but the downstairs <laughs> bar, it, you know, they don't even normally have music down there. And it was a Wednesday night they got, they gave me, which is terrible. And they gave me <laughs> a zero guarantee, but 90% of the door. So I wasn't guaranteed to make anything, but if I pulled in a crowd, I, then I would do okay. And so... I took it. I was like, let's, let's do it. So, um, at, at, you know, to wrap the story up, basically I, I geo-targeted that list. And I said, you know, let me just pull out the email addresses of the people who downloaded the record within 20 miles of that zip code of where that venue is. And so emailed those people and said, thanks so much for downloading my record. I hope you love it. Um, I'm going to be in your town in two weeks. Please come out 10 bucks at the door. Two days before the show, reminded them one more time, one more email. Hey, just, you know, reminder, please come out. Hope you love the record, blah, blah. And didn't know what was going to happen. So I showed up at the venue, um, and the thing about the knitting factory is there's the room that I was playing, the downstairs bar holds like 100 people. There's not much to it. There's the mid-size venue that's the next floor up that holds maybe 400, and there's the big venue upstairs where like thousands of people for mm -hmm. the big artists who play. So I'm walking up to, to sound check and to do my show, and there's this line down Hollywood Boulevard to get in the knitting factory, and my buddy and I look at each other, and I said to him, you know, I wonder who's playing the big room tonight. Maybe after my set, we can sneak in and see that show. Apparently somebody <laughs> pretty cool. And as I walked up, people kind of started like applauding, and it was like, I was like, what's happening? They were all there to see my show. Like, the data worked, and sold out the show at 100 people, turned away like 200 people, um, played the show for the people who got in, went out on the sidewalk, played a second show for all the people who didn't, 
that night, the knitting factory booked me to come back for a guarantee six months later in the next bigger room, which I did and sold it out. Same thing happened in New York. And all of a sudden, it, it's like the, the light went on. You know, if I have this data, like we, this was not a lightning strike. We did this with information. We did it with data. And, we, and if I could do this in 20 cities, then I've got a career for the rest of my life. And, and uh, the next year, I had the biggest pre-sale of my career because of all this data. Um, and so immediately, it, yeah, it, you know, we started to hatch a plan to start noise trade so that all my friends could do the same thing. Wow. So when you get that kind of data, you can use it to help determine where you want to tour. Um, when, when, you, when, you get that, when you get that sort of data, is there any sort of uh, other things that uh, artists can do with it? I know you talked about how you're planning your pre-releases around it, for example. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, like, um, yeah, so it's not only great for discovering where you have like concentrations of fans and, and cities that you should go to. You stop going to the wrong city and playing for 10 people and you start going to the right city and playing for 100 people. And so, you know, all of a sudden which cities are marketing to kind of build and, and get opening slots because you don't have a lot of fans there and which ones you maybe surprisingly have a bunch of fans and you should go and and uh, you know, take a risk on a on a high door percentage, even if it's a no guarantee situation. And but yeah, in addition, um, I had you know previous you know records that I could sell to those people who had just discovered me. And I also you know maybe once every six weeks I use a platform I love called Concert Window and do an online uh, show from my living room, and people can can tune in and watch and buy tickets beforehand and. Um, you know, and, and, uh, you can engage those crowds that way. And then obviously there's, when you've got, um, uh, when you're pre-selling, uh, a new record, and especially if you're using a platform like, uh, Pledge Music or somebody where you can sell at different price points and have different packages you put together, then over time you start to really learn more about those fans. Cause then you determine, okay, so of these 90,000 fans I've got, I've got about X amount of hundred or thousand of them who will buy, packages, you know, between this price and this price, I've got this many who will buy it at these prices. And you start to be able to really drill down and determine like, who are my super fans? Who are my kind of hangers on and kind of suspicious fans? I need to kind of prove a little more to them and go to them with a better deal. But then I've got these people who I think would are the handful of people who want to spend a thousand dollars, you know, or something. And, and it, it reminds you of the essay, the blog that I think it was Kevin Kelly wrote a long time ago. He was one of the co-founders of Wired magazine, and he wrote this thing called A Thousand True Fans. And if, and if any of your listeners have not read this or not read it lately, they need to go read it or reread it. I read it twice a year, and um, A Thousand True Fans, One Thousand True Fans. And it's just about the idea that if you can find a thousand true fans, and, and he defines like what that means, it, um, if you had a thousand people who would be willing to give you $100 a year between – Several live shows, a, a new album pre pre-order, and you know the random other ancillary things you can do to engage them with with good products that they like and points of engagement. You've got a career for the rest of your life. You can make a great blue collar living as an artist or as a creative person um, with very few fans if if you know what you're doing and if you're doing well to connect with them, meaningfully connect with data. Um, yeah, and so you know, and we we've had you know, uh, thousands of artists, um, come through and, and meaningfully build their careers, uh, using noise rate at this point. So it's been amazing. Wow. It's the, the power of data. It's really intriguing. Um, so you have this platform noise trade in which artists, 
uh, basically offer their music to people for free in exchange for their email addresses so you can collect this data. Um, I imagine you get this question a lot from skeptical artists, so I'll pose it to you so you can uh, answer sure. it for everybody. Uh, what do you say to artists who look at your platform and say that artists shouldn't be giving their music away for free, that it's cheapening their art? Mm-hmm. I, w- I would say a few things. I would say, first of all, um, that's only true if you believe that music's only value is monetary. Uh-huh. It's the only way that that can be true. And if you believe that the only value it has is is in as far as what you can charge for it with, you know, like the money you can get for it, I mean, maybe. But I don't think anybody really thinks that. Not anybody who really cares about music, and so especially not an artist wouldn't really if they thought about it. You know, music has a lot of other kinds of value. It has, um, you know, emotional – there's an emotion, emotional currency wrapped up in music. There's uh, a relational value to it. There's even a spiritual value to music. And, uh, and, and I think that as the um, – if you take the monetary barrier down, if you lessen it or take it away altogether, in my opinion, if anything, it, it brings even more perceived value to it because you're, you're staking everything on it. Like – not just advertising and blogs and reviews of your music, but the actual music. It's your, it's your single best marketing tool. Like if you're going to count on one thing to make the actual connection, the emotional connection with somebody, you're going to stake it all on the actual music, you know, like you're going to, that's what you're going to stand behind. And if you can make those connections, if you can find those people who really deeply resonate with the art you're making, the records, the music you're making, um, then it will just it will turn into a revenue transaction. It will because they will want to support you. Um, but your fans want to. It's it's not a matter of getting them to. It's a matter of giving them opportunities to because they will. They can't wait to. They'll give you more than you ask. Um, so um, that's one part of the answer. But the other part is, um, I would have you ask that same question of Spotify and every and every other um, you know m- music platform because at this point you know point four point three zero nine cents per stream. In my opinion, that devalues the music a lot more than a, a, a data-based connection with a fan because I can make dollars out of data. Streaming, I can't even barely make pennies. Um, so I think that the a lot of what artists are you know accepting nowadays in terms of the way the music business works defa- devalues the music a lot more than using the music as a means to deeply connect with fans, which means, you know, having data and owning the customer relationships um, than most of the other platforms distributing music today. And, uh, you know, because, and, and just, again, to underscore the point of the value of the data, um, you have to think about data as currency, because for instance, um, I make more money, more money giving my music away for free than I made selling my music the old way. I make more money. So it's like, you you know, I, I think that artists can tend to be a little precious about the way they think about art and value and things like that. But if you really break it down, um, it's the deepest connection you're going to have with your fan is going to be based around the actual content. And so if you can get data for that content, you can make the data make you so much money. I mean, that, that's the whole business that companies like Spotify and iTunes and Amazon are in. They are in the customer ownership business. Mm-hmm. And whoever owns the customers and owns the data on the customers is really the person who runs your business and in charge and is in control of your business. I would prefer artists 
own those customers and have those relationships directly where they can dig tunnels under all of those, uh, the, you know, the iTunes and the Amazons and Spotify's of the world. Well, uh, that sort of gives rise to this question for me. Um, I'd love to sort of get your thoughts on where the industry is going in light of everything you just said. Um, you've been in the game yeah. for a long time, and when I think of platforms like yours, like Noise Trade and other alternative distribution models like streaming, as you discussed, um, there mm-hmm. are some who might be wondering, is the era of selling music copy by copy fading? Is it is, mm-hmm. is selling your music, is it is it still a legitimate revenue stream for artists, or is it more and more yeah. becoming, as you said, a marketing tool to maybe get mm-hmm. fans to go check out your live shows or to get, you know, to, to get more fan engagement and ultimately get more mm-hmm. money from them down the road? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think that you know, it's it's. I don't think that the business is, has fundamentally changed. I think it's. I think it's evolving a little bit. I think that what it has a lot more to do with now. I think there'll always be a market to sell music. I mean, I, I think that mu- music will retain its monetary value. I do. I don't think it's just going to turn into a permanent loss leader for every other way you make money. I don't think that's the case. But what I do think is that what we're looking at is um, the era of the super fan and which is kind of what I was talking about before of like your super fans are the ones that, that tip of the spear of your fans who are to the who most deeply resonate with and love and there will therefore support what you're doing. And you're deeply connecting with them, owning the relationships with those fans, especially, and then giving them every great opportunity and listening to them and knowing what the opportunities are that they want um, to support you. And like, giving them access to like I did a Kickstarter recently for um, a 10 year anniversary of an album that I was remastering and remixing and re-releasing on vinyl. And, other stuff. and, you know, I wouldn't even have thought there would have been any of my fans. It was almost like a dare with the guy who was helping run the campaign, but we put up, um, you know, a thousand dollar option um, that if you support it at that level, you got all the stuff you get. Plus you get to come to Nashville and spend the day with me in the studio, listening through all the original multi-tracks of the album, talking through how we made it. And, I, and then I take you out, you know, and like feed you and the whole, you know, but it's like an experience. And there, and there are going to be those fans who want that experience. And they're, 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 they're that big of fans. And you want to find out what those right opportunities and experiences are for your particular audience and then make them available and, um, and go into that, that deeper partnership with those super fans you have, they will always buy the records. They'll buy them on vinyl. They'll buy the extended version with the, with the documentary that you made, but not everybody will. So I think there's a different segment of your audience for whom maybe the music does become a loss leader to try and um, you basically just want to connect with people on any level that they're willing. And you have super fans who want to connect. They don't want the the $5 immediate download. They want the $65 pre-sale version with all the bells and whistles and kitchen sink. That's what I want for the band that I'm a uh, big fan of. But then there's other fans who might not be willing to give you anything. They might not, they might not give you any money. So you might as well come up with some option to not have to refuse their engagement. Cause what if, what if they'd be willing to connect with you with some data in exchange for, um, a, you know, a couple of new songs, some live cuts and some demos, you could put together something that doesn't poach your ability to sell them the record at some point if they wind up loving what they hear, but have an interaction with them and get the data and then, you know, have a strategy for how you engage them further and try to convert them into 
the next level of fam. And it just takes time to do that. But um, so I don't think that the market is fundamentally changing. Um, I think it's it's getting a little more complex. But here's the last thing I'll say is what will really fundamentally change the music business, and this is going to happen, um, and it'll make conversations around streaming and Spotify and, and revenue really change, is on the day when content owners and content creators are the same group of people. Amen. Right now, the re- <laughs> yeah, so right now that's not the case. And the old model of the way the music business and a lot of other um, content businesses have worked, you have the content creators, the people who make everything, the, the, uh, the writers, the authors, the, the artists, the bands, and then you have content owners, which are the people who typically you sign a deal with and they distribute and pay for that content and they wind up owning it um, and you don't. And, um, and so when you have these big, when you have like things like Spotify um, the lion's share, pretty much all the money um, that comes in is going to the content owners. And unfortunately, they are not the ones who created the content. Now, a few more generations of artists coming through the market as it is today, um, uh, it, it's going to naturally fix itself because you don't need record deals and record labels and that sort of structure. You don't need that stuff to get your records paid for, made, distributed, promoted, marketed, to tour. You can do all that without the record labels, without any of that stuff. And so it's just naturally what's going to happen as a result is content creators are going to wind up being content owners. And at that point, I think it'll really change the conversation about revenue, especially around things like streaming. Um, but as it stands, it, uh, it just it doesn't add up and it doesn't make sense. Right on. Um, so for artists who are currently using or are considering using noise trade after uh, hearing some of the stuff you've said, uh, what, can you give some tips on what artists can do to be successful on your platform? Yeah. So first of all, you might as well try it because it's free. I mean, it just doesn't cost anything. So if you come to noisetrade.com, whether you're um, a musician or even an author, you know, we, we do audiobooks, ebooks as well. So noise trade books, that side of the platform we launched a few years ago and um, is, is growing slowly but, but well. And um, that part of the business is a few years behind the disruption in the music side. And um, so we're, we want to be ready with good tools to help, um, you know, as uh, authors and independent dist- um, uh, publishing houses are kind of getting, getting their, their feet under them. But basically you come, you sign up, it's totally free. Um, and, just put up whatever you want to, you know, try, try it out with, uh, you know, like the, I think I've seen a lot of artists come on and, um, and maybe create a sampler. Like you t- take a couple of songs, if you've got two or three records maybe, and, or more, um, or if you've got like a live concert, um, you know, of a bunch of songs that kind of will give folks an overview of, of who you are, what you do, something that would be a good representation to give people an idea. And then you could follow up with those people and try to, um, engage them further with buying those records or coming out to those concerts. That's a good place to start. And, um, and we, we do feature, uh, you know, a good amount of content that we love and, and um, in these emails that go to a, a, you know, a big audience, million and a half people, we can drive a lot of engagement to your content. Um, and uh, there's just a, a spot. If you go up, uh, if you're on the site up on the top right, there's a little link that says learn more and, and you can find your way to how to uh, 
get that to get your content in front of in front of us in front of our team. Um, we heavily curate what goes into those those weekly emails we send out to all those people, which is why they trust us. Um, you know, we only put stuff we really love in there. But but that's another great way um, to to get in front of our audience. But honestly, another easy organic way is ask your friends. Uh, your artist friends who are have bigger tribes than you do to help you spread the word about it. Like if you're distributing some content for free, um, you know, and you're an artist, reach out to your friends who are artists, uh, the same size artists as you. Maybe ask a few bigger artist friends if they'd be willing to hit their socials with it. And um, and uh, and and you know, by the time you're done, you might have you know hundreds, thousands even of new fans that you can immediately go to and. And, and get to know and start to engage. Oh, oh great stuff, Derek. Uh, you're. I'm, I hope I don't make you blush too much by saying that. Uh, just from talking to you, I can tell that you're, you know, you're you're one of the better voices that people should be listening to in indie music right now. Um, you have a lot of great oh, insight on it. where the industry's going. And so, for the people out there that are listening that want to find out more about you, uh, both musically yeah. and 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 what you have to say as, as a music industry thinker. Uh, how can people find you on social media and related platforms? Yeah, thanks. Thanks for those kind words. I, um, I'm pretty easy to find. I'm just uh, everywhere you go look and be it Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, Noise Trade, uh, wherever, you can just find me at slash Derek Webb, D-E-R-E-K-W-E-B-B. And uh, that's um, – so I'm pretty easy to find online. And and, uh, and then beyond that, folks can go to Noise Trade and, and check that out as well. And, um, yeah, that would be great. Oh, that's wonderful. Uh, Derek, thank you very much for being on the show. Uh, I hope we can have you again real soon. Uh, I really enjoy talking to you. Yeah, yeah, the same. Yeah, it's a pleasure. All right. Uh, We'll be right back on the Break the Business podcast. Ryan here from the podcast. If you like the show, be sure to rate and review us on iTunes. If you want to reach out to us, shoot us an email at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody. Our thanks to Derek Webb, co-founder of Noise Trade, for joining us in the previous segment. That was a great interview from a great music industry mind. If you want to find out more about Noise Trade, if you're the kind of artist that thinks that that platform might be right for you uh, in terms of where you are in your career, you can check it out at noisetrade.com. I don't know about you, but that interview invigorated me. I love hearing smart people talk intelligently about indie music and the music industry and the future of the industry. It's, it's great stuff. Um, and I gotta be honest with you, I, I've been in need of some invigoration. I have been, uh, I, I've been so emotionally exhausted lately and not just, you know, not with that, you know, the house and the wedding and all this great stuff that's coming up uh, in my near future, but it's actually far more, uh, basic than that i have i'm emotionally exhausted from dealing with my high-speed internet provider that's coming to the new house uh you know what i'll just say the name because you know what these people people need to know how freaking awful comcast is i have i have lost my will to live dealing with comcast these people are ridiculous just ridiculous i i can't believe any 
company can be run so poorly as Comcast is run. You can ask anybody I know. I'm not an angry person. I don't get emotional about things. Uh, generally, my emotions tend to stay pretty even keeled. I don't have a lot of highs. I don't have a lot of lows. I'm pretty just, you know, right down the middle. But man, does Comcast bring out just a special kind of rage in me. And I know we should be talking about the music industry right now because that's what this show is. But oh my God, I just need to yell about uh, this uh, high-speed internet provider in my area. There, um, We've been trying to get the internet installed in the new house so that uh, when my fiance's family comes to visit and they stop in the new house, there'll be internet for them. Uh, I think that'd be a nice thing. And I've already paid for it. You know, they have the money. They have my money. It's in their bank account. Uh, I've, I've paid for the service. And... Uh, they've been trying to install it. Uh, they tried coming two days ago to install my cable. The guy gets there and says, I can't install it. There's no power running into the house or not power, not electricity, but like the cable connection is not running into the house. Uh, we got to have a supervisor look at it because I can't fix that. Even though I'm a technician, it says technician on my name. That particular tech is not my department. He has to have a supervisor come down and do it. And so he calls the supervisor, and then the supervisor never comes, and the technician just leaves. Like, he, like, throws a smoke bomb in the floor, and he's gone. And he doesn't tell us he's leaving, he's just gone. And so there's no supervisor, and there's no technician, everybody's just gone. And the supervisor never comes. And so I call Comcast for what is the first of five phone calls with Comcast customer service to get this taken care of. Uh, they say... Are, you know, we're sorry, sir. We'll be sending. Yeah, you know, they're yeah, they're sorry. Um, we'll be sending a technician to the house tomorrow to get your cable set up. Yeah, Comcast. And I'm like, okay, Comcast. But remember that the reason why you weren't able to set it up the first time is because there was no connection going into the house, which a supervisor was supposed to fix. And so, and you see, I'm already getting my blood boiling, and I, I'm not an angry person, but these people just bring it out in me. And so I say. Um, I think you're going to waste your technician's time and my time by sending him out to the house, having him hook, try to hook it up and say, oh, I still can't hook it up because there's no connection being sent. And then he has to call his supervisor. And then we get to do this all over again where the supervisor doesn't come and the technician throws down a smoke bomb and I'm the only one in the house and nothing gets uh, set up and they still have my money. Wow. I got to calm down. I got to, oh, come on, Ryan, keep it together. So, um, and so, you know, the, you know, they say, don't worry, uh, we're going to get it set up. And, and, you know, and so anyway, smash cut to uh, a few hours later and Comcast has no record of the uh, of the appointment that they made. And so I have to call again um, and it takes multiple phone calls because, like, I'm pretty sure they were, they were just trying to, like, kick me off the phone because the phone connection kept dropping. And, you know, they said they couldn't fix it. They couldn't fix it. They couldn't fix it. And they couldn't do it right now, and you know we'll do it later. And and finally, I said the the magic words that seem to be the only way, the only way that you can get a cable company to do anything for you. I would like to cancel my service. All of a sudden, when you say I'd like to cancel my service, appointment times magically pop up, and people magically are able to come to the house. So anyway, I say I'm going to cancel my service. They say, oh. How about that? It just turns out that we we have an opening to send a technician, an outside technician, a supervisor to fix the connection into your house, and then we'll send the technician that day to fix to to set up the cable and internet. Yeah, now we're making progress. And so, I have them tell me that the 
the outside technician is coming in the morning and the inside technician is going to come and set up the connection between 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. And I, I even like, you know, much to the annoyance of the Comcast rep, but at this point I'm pretty annoyed. Uh, I, I have them repeated on the phone. Okay, the technician's coming in the morning to fix the outside and then you're going to have the installation guy come between 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. today. Is that right? Yes, sir, that's correct. Okay, so... I mean, I, I had him. I had him go over it. I had him repeat it a bunch of times. It was set in stone, and so uh, uh, it was all scheduled for tomorrow. And so that day tomorrow, I started thinking, you know, nothing about my transaction with Comcast up until now has inspired a terrific amount of trust. And so I'm going to verify and make sure. So I call this Comcast number again. And just to confirm that the the technician that the outside that the that the technicians are showing up, and so I call Comcast and I say, okay, I mean, I have every reason to trust you guys because we went over it a bunch of times about when the guy was showing up. But just to make sure he's showing up today, right? And sure enough, they you know type 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 into their computer. One second, sir. Hold music. Hold music. Hold music. Terrible hold music. All right. Um, we're looking here at the computer, sir, and there is no record of a technician uh, coming to your house today. They lost the appointment again, again. Wow, man, my blood is just boiling. I, I shouldn't be reliving this on the air. I'm just so, so mad at Comcast. And so they just didn't have any record of it. And so, and they said, oh, and, 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 the, only, and the only time we can send the technician again is Tuesday. So like three or four days from now. Uh, and they just straight up lost the appointment repeatedly. And... You know, and so I, I threatened to cancel the service. And, you know, what I was reminded of when all this is said and done is, you know, they're afraid of you canceling their service up to a point. But in the end, they're not that afraid because they have what we like to call a monopoly. There is no other cable service or high speed Internet service worth a damn in this area. And so it's them or nothing. And they know it. And that's why their customer service sucks. And that's why their product sucks. And. You know, so really, I just have to deal with it and like, you know, just suffer through the fact that this is the best I'm going to get and just, you know, lament how sad that is and just, you know, continue staying in my own personal hell that is uh, the local high speed Internet provider in this area. Just oh, so brutal. But as I was going through this experience and see, I'm going to bring it back to the main point of this show. It made me think about the music industry in general. Um, I hear people tell me all the time when I tell them that I work in music and that I represent artists, I inevitably hear this, man, music's just not that good right now, man. Everything sounds the same. It's all the same stuff. There's no, there's no diversity. Uh, you know, everything is just the same recycled manufactured pop. How can you represent these artists? And, you know, and what I say to them is, I mean, one, I disagree because I tell them, look, you're listening to the wrong music, you know? There is, there's probably been no better time in the history of music um, in terms of music quality in the indie world. We're at a golden age for indie music right now. There's so much great indie music happening right now that you're not going to hear on the radio, but it's really good stuff, and you just have to go find it out there on platforms like Noise Trade, for example. Um, but to the extent that you feel that everything on the radio sounds the same and that you're just listening to the same manufactured, packaged uh, saccharine pop music on song after song on the radio. Keep in mind that 
part of the reason why you might perceive that there's a lack of quality is because of a similar market structure that is the reason why cable and high-speed internet in my area sucks so bad. There's not a lot of providers. When 70% of the music you hear is coming from the same three record companies, you don't have competition. It's not going to sound the same. There's not going to be diversity. And the same thing with radio stations. When most of your radio stations are owned by the same handful of big companies, it's all going to sound the same. And so when you think about where you want the industry to go as a music fan... Um, You should be favoring more independent music if you want to hear different stuff on these mainstream sources of listening, such as radio. Uh, I believe that we should have a more artist-centered industry and less of a label-centered industry. Artists should be the focus. Artists should own their own content and bring it directly to, to the fans, as Derek Webb said. And I don't just believe that because I think it is fair for the artists and it's the right thing to do for artists, which I do, by the way. There's no question about that. But... As consumers, you should want this as well, because if there are no barriers between the creators of music and the consumers of music, then you're going to get more diversity, you're going to get more variety, you're going to get more sophisticated music, because there's not going to be a gatekeeper in the middle, this record company that's acting as a filter between everything that gets to you, the consumer. And this is a gatekeeper that's going to say, well, we need to make sure that uh, the stuff that we listen to doesn't really, you know doesn't really alienate any mass market segment. It's got to all appeal to people across the board, which means it can't be music that takes chances or is uh, interesting or that is, you know, diverse and, and, and takes and, and, and does new different things because we have to fit this mold. We have to, you know, be mainstream. And so as a music fan, if you want better music, if you think the music that you're hearing on the radio is not as good as it could be, You should be favoring a more artist-centered music industry and less of a label-centered music industry. Get more competition in the business. Get more diversity in the business, and you'll get a better product, whether it's music or the godforsaken hellscape that is cable and high-speed internet. So, see, I found a way to tie it back to music. uh, My own, you know, I, I found a way to take my own personal hell that I'm going through right now and bring it back to the topic of this show, which is indie music and Uh, I thank all of you for listening, uh, both to my rant and to this uh, fantastic program in general and the fantastic guests that we have on each week. Uh, Again, if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can at at Ryan K-A-I-R. Follow my co-host Dave at D-K-A-Y-E-1027. Email us at breakthebusiness.com with show questions, show topics, whatever you want us to talk about. And uh, you can follow me, uh, uh, like us on Facebook. Just search Break the Business and tell a friend about the show. If you like the stuff that we do around here, There is no better advertising than just you telling a friend who tells a friend, and next thing you know, we got a pretty cool thing going here. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. Um, We're going to keep this going. I can't wait to move to the new studio and all the great stuff that's going to come with that. And by the way, none of this happens, this new studio and all the great stuff that's going to come with it, without your support and without your, your, your fandom for the show. And so I am so grateful when we started this about six months ago, I didn't think it was going to be this thing that would, uh, continuing, continue to pick up momentum and get this nice following. I'm so grateful. And, uh, you know, it's awesome. So thank you all, uh, for everything you guys do. And we will see you next week on the break, the business podcast. (laughs) 